Father, we thank you for allowing us into your presence again this evening. Lord, tonight I would like to speak with you on the word flesh, one of your sacred words. Lord, I pray that the people will gain understanding by this and make it be useful to them. Father, this is a special word because it has to do with what everybody calls the resurrection. And I pray, Lord, that they will understand this tonight and I pray that it might be very alarming and useful to all the people. I pray, Lord, that they will understand it and search it from the scriptures. And, Lord, that they will believe you, not me. But, dear Lord, I pray that you will cause your people to understand this word. It is very important to us. The way of our flesh is the symbol of the way of our outward walk that is representing the way that is the desire of our heart and therefore that is also the desire of our mind. In other words, our outward body, the things that we do with it, whether we engrave it or tattoo it, is a symbol of what we think of, of God and of his word and of his instruction. Now, many people do many things. We have breast implants, butt implants, many other things that are also reflective of this, Botox to the eyes, and so on. I'm not going to grade any of these or condemn any of these. Let the scriptures bring to you what you believe. Remember that Paul said that women weren't to adorn themselves with special jewels and to look flashy. And these kind of things we do with our body are indicative of that. There are times when it's a medical thing to help people. But if we are aware of the time we are in now, the day of the Lord, and especially we've now entering the morning of the day of the Lord, I believe, on April 6th. When we do that in those times, it's a very interesting thing because it begins when the king is reigning. And do we believe in the king? If we are walking in the way of the Lord and do not focus on our physical being, but focus on doing the best we can to be clean for the Lord, he will restore us in due time. Because he decorates the flowers, and if he can decorate the flowers and make them beautiful in this time of the day of the Lord, in the morning of the day of the Lord, he will also make us beautiful to the best that we need for the work that we've given be given to do. Sorry for the noise in the background. What is going on in this time is that we need to understand the depth of the word flesh, the depth of the time that we're in, what is important to God, and what the flesh really means to us, and the, where our focus should be at this time. Now let's look at a few scriptures that kind of talk about flesh that will give us some indication that something is going on here bigger than we think about. The first one I'd like to draw your attention to is Matthew 24, 20 to 22, and Mark 13, 18 to 20. I'm going to read Matthew 24, 20 to 22. It says, And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. 
And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. There's a lot said in there. One of the things I want to point out is, he says, in this, he says, and pray that your flight may not be in the winter or in the Sabbath, on the Sabbath. It doesn't mean that you can't flee in the winter or on the Sabbath. But he's saying to you, pray that you're before that so your wisdom is grown, because wisdom, as he says in Isaiah 28, 9 to 13, does not come to you in a download. The wisdom of God is poured out line by line, precept by precept. So he's given us an instruction that we should focus on coming out before the winter. And of course, we're now past the winter and we're coming to the day of the Lord, which is the Sabbath, the seven-year reign of Christ over the earth, where the Antichrist will come forth after that. And the last three and a half years, 42 months of the day of the Lord, the seven-year reign of Christ, is when the two witnesses are on the earth. I believe that's how that goes because it's in the morning. And he tells us the darkness will come on the earth at noon of his day, which begins the afternoon. So, and he says he's going to cut the day short. So he's telling all these things and his word is true in all the ways. So that's a little bit about that. But look at the fact that he says all flesh will be destroyed. Now flesh has a variety of meanings in this. And the Lord is going to destroy our flesh and renew it with a new flesh. Because the flesh is symbolic of our heart. It's a symbolic of what is the desire and the walk of our heart. We are told in John 15, 7, that if we will follow in the way of the Lord, and if we will, let's say, here's, let me just read the scripture. John 15, and I'm going to read 7 and 8. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. But one of the things we must do is abide in him, means, and my words abide in you, and his words, not just the set-apart words that he's talking about, but he's also talking about the meaning of the work, of the instruction that is given with those words. For example, the laws of Moses are symbolic of the words of God, doing the ways of the words of God, because they would not receive the words in them. Remember at Mount Sinai, they said, give your words to Moses or give your words to a man and let them teach us. So he did that and he had to write them down. Because with the living word of God, it's always present if it is in you, if he, we would have allowed him to write the words in us, there wouldn't have been a need for the law written. But they wrote the law, and God said, that's what you want, that's fine. And he gave them the law. In Leviticus 19, 26 to 28, it says this. You shall not eat anything with its blood, with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. You shall not shave the sides of your head, 
nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. There was just a picture in the news today of people um, in an African tribe or in the continent of Africa, people in the continent of Africa, who cut slices into their body to mark the people they killed. No cuttings in your flesh for the dead. Some people put cuttings in their flesh to, to mark the loss of their sons or daughters or so on. The Lord said, do not do that. Do not do that. Nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Tattoo. This is important for us because the mark of the beast that's coming is a tattoo. If you look at the word, it's Strong's Greek 5480, I believe it is. Let me scroll down here and see. 5480, Chiragma, which means mark. The definition of that is a stamp or an imprinted mark of the mark stamped on the forehead or the right hand as the badge of the followers of the Antichrist. The mark branded upon horses, thing carved, sculptured, graven works, or adulterous images. It's not a microchip. Everybody's talking about a microchip being in us. That's not what this is about. They're going to mark the flesh. The devil wants you to mark the flesh. You're going to mark the flesh because there's a purpose in marking the flesh. When you mark the flesh, it is a bad thing if you're wanting to go up in the rapture. Because the Lord is coming for those that don't have the mark in the flesh upon them. And we need to be cleansed of these marks in the flesh before that time. And I'm sure we will be if we set ourselves apart. For the Lord will cure that and heal that. Because many have made the mistake. Many have done many of these things. We've done the things of all these things for lust and flesh and so on. We put skulls. We put all kinds of things on our and Bible verses and every other kind of thing is a as a thing on our flesh and thinking that we're wise in doing this. And it's a foolish, foolish thing. And uh, I think by the end of the night, uh, you may understand that. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, which cannot exist in darkness, by the way, or works of darkness, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. The blood of Christ bought you. He opened the temple veil by doing so, so you could receive the words, which the words only come with the full measure of the Spirit of God. And you have to get the authority of the Spirit of truth to be in us. And we cannot have the Spirit of truth in us if we are of the world. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 1 Corinthians 6.20 Deuteronomy 10.16 says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. That's important as we'll get to in another verse because the Lord tells us that in this time he's going to come forth and do something special. He says, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. It's Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. Let me read that again. Uh, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and uh, you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols and will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You will keep my judgments and do them. But the first thing he had to do was circumcise their heart before he can put the spirit in them to cause them. Because the spirit of truth cannot enter those of the world. John 14, 15 to 17. Now, Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1 to 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind that you may prove what that is that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He desires all men to come to the knowledge of truth, or all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. But this is the living sacrifice that we take care of our flesh, seek God to cleanse us even of the things of our flesh completely, so that we will be ready for the rapture. If we pay attention to Psalms 50, it tells us here in verses 1 to 6, it says, The mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Remember he's saying he's going to start calling very strongly now because he says he's going to rise as the sun of righteousness. And this is the morning of the day of the Lord when the sun rises as the sun of righteousness. And it's a special time. He was calling us from the time of the day of the Lord open. But now he's going to compel us. He's going to cause us to hear a word. And if we will not hear it because his spirit is moving. And we refuse to hear it. Then we will be judged for rejecting the word. Which the Lord promised to do. The father promised in Deuteronomy 18, 18 and 19. And he said his son is rising as the son of righteousness. It comes in the morning of the day of the Lord we've now entered which is of the Father, which means it's a time appointed to the Father that we are not to reject his words or we will be held into account. Deuteronomy 18, 19. Holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we just read in Ezekiel 36, that he's telling us, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take a heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you, which means also in your mind, and cause you to walk in my statutes, that you will keep my judgments and do them. Paul it also says that in Deuteronomy 10.16, by the way. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. Everybody thinks circumcision is just a, the man's thing. In reality, 
God is wanting us, it's an example of the lust of the flesh, that we need to understand that we should be doing all things, even childbearing, in the way of God and in the trust of God. This is why things like the pill, for example, is the wrong thing, and our continual lust for sex is the wrong thing. We don't understand the way of God for it. It's to be done in love, not in lust. And it has to be done in a way of the kingdom with the thought of the kingdom in mind. And God is the one that puts the children of the kingdom in the, in the womb. But we put children because of the lust of desire. God knew this. There's a special time and special appointments coming that God is in charge of. We need to understand these things. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We no longer look at the world as our life and our thing. We're no longer, like he said to the, to the Pharisee or the person that goes and shouts his prayers in the corners or shouts out the, the word of God in the corners for his own good and own bragging and own boasting. But the one who goes in the prayer corner humbly before God walks humbly before him, they circumcise their heart. They're the ones that want to do the work of the kingdom, and they want God's glory to be glorified, not their own. Not their own position, not their own thing. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, the components of your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is also boasting and pride. Those are idolatry. He says, which is idolatry? Paul's saying all these things are idolatry, sexual immorality. All those things are works of the flesh. We worship the flesh. We worship our own position. We worship all these things and our own desires and our own wants. And we care not for the kingdom of God, not understanding that if we seek the kingdom of God, God is going to pour out things on us that we didn't expect, we didn't ask for. Read Malachi 3, the ending of it, and he tells you this. If you will do these things, if you'll come out, and give all things to the kingdom and worship the kingdom. Uh, walk in the way of the kingdom. Walk in the way of the Lord. Abide in his words. What you desire will be done for you. But you don't have to desire. God is going to give you more than what you ask for. He's going to give you what he wants to glorify you as a son of the kingdom of God. Look how much he glorified. He gave all the glory and the robe and everything to Lucifer when he was with the kingdom. And then he backslid and lost everything. And he's going to go into perdition. He's going to go into the destruction forever. It's already determined. And God is saying, put to death these things at this time. This is what he's talking about in Psalms 1 to 6. This is the Psalms 1 to 6. It's, it's, let me go back to this. Psalms 51 to 6. It says, the mighty one God, the Lord, has spoken, called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Understand that God, if you have tattoos and these things, God is going to cleanse this because in his kingdom, all things are possible. Nothing's impossible to God. But if we want to have the flesh and we walk in the way of the flesh, he's going to clean us of the flesh because he tells us in Daniel 12, 2 and 3, that many are going to shine like the firmament forever, which is in the way of the words, not in the way of the flesh of the earth. And they're going to weigh in the way of judgment and not in the way of the world. 
God's going to separate those who go up and those who go down. They're going to be symbolic of this. They're going to shine with the light of God. It says, out of Zion, and Zion is the heavens. It's also, yes, Jerusalem. But the Zion that God, that we should care about, is the one right now where the Lord is sitting at the top of it, in the top corners, the capstone, at the side of the Father who's sitting on the throne of judgment in the midst of the four living creatures. And the 24 elders who put their crown down before him. Because it's salvation. See, when they put their crown down before him to honor him, but they're asking also for the glory of the Lord to go out and be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And they're doing that now. They've been doing this since the words were open, waiting on us to arise as sons of God. The whole earth is waiting on us to wake up and realize. Our God shall come and, not, and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him. That's the words going out. Even the statue of Nebuchadnezzar is the one that's struck by a stone not made by human hands. Not made by hands, period. It's the word of God that's going to be strike that statue and break it down. That's why we need these words. Our God shall come and shall not keep sign of fire, shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. Tempestuous. Tempestuous. Storms going out. He's going to cause everything to be stirred up because he's going to cause sin to be known. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth and that he may judge his people. In other words, he's sending forth the word to judge the people. John 12, 48 says his words will judge the people at this time. And he says, gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. What was the covenant, the new covenant? God is saying, gather those that made the new covenant to me. What sacrifice? What is sacrifice? He's saying to slay the flesh. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. He cannot declare his righteousness in unrighteous people. They have to set themselves apart from the fleshly ways of the earth, the lust, desires, the bragging, the boasting, all these things. they got to walk humbly before their God, or they will not shine, and they will be shamed. God's God going to grow them darker, and they will not show with the light, and they won't be able to speak his words. That's what's going to happen. And those rejecting the words right now are going to see this. Preachers that go in and they say that, don't you know who I am? And they go in an appointment or something like that. They want to bust their way in forward or on a plane or anything like this. Boastful. They're like the men that pray out loud. They're wanting everybody to know who they are. God doesn't care about that. And that's an idolatry. They idolatry. They have an idolatry of their own position, and therefore they're not of God. They're not of the words of God. They've heard the words. They've denied it. By their actions, they deny it. Now, it goes on in Colossians 2, 10 to 12. He says, and you have been made complete in Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. He's the one that gives authority and rule. Not, you, not us. He does. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature, which is the flesh. With a circumcision performed by Christ, 
and not by human hands. The circumcision comes by us hearing the words and doing them. And as we do them, the Spirit is poured out on us to show us our correction that we need to have. If we refuse to receive the instruction and correction of God, then we become idolaters. And having been buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through your faith, which is hearing the word in the power of God, the words of the king, walking forth in the instruction of God in the way of the covenant that he came into the world to bear witness to. He came to fulfill the law. So now we don't have to do it in the old way, like an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Remember all those things? Now we can obey the Ten Commandments to its fullness, which is even love your neighbor, don't kill. There's people right now organizing. Israel is organizing. They're working with Saudi Arabia and other countries. On the precipice, it says that they're going to invade Iran with America and Russia, uh, with others. They're going to invade Iran. That is a terrible thing. It's killing. And it shows that they're not walking at all in the authority of God. That's why he says in Ezekiel 38 or 36, he said they profaned his word everywhere they went. Let me read this, 36, 22 to 27. Therefore says, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which his name is the word of God. He's came, that's the work he's come into the kingdom to do. John 18, 37 bears witness to that. He testifies of that to the Pilate. The, before the, the Rome, in his court trial to, to Pilate, the Roman general, he, the Roman uh, uh, consulate or whoever it is in charge of Jerusalem at that time. He says, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you've went, and I will sanctify my great name. Sanctify is a word that means, he tells you in John 17, 17, 19, he says, there are not, they are not of the world, just I'm not of the world. In other words, he wants to set us apart from the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In other words, he's asking God to sanctify them by God's words. Those set apart holy words that I've told you about. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by truth. Sanctification is doing the way of truth, not just hearing the words, but doing them in righteousness. He did it for others. He sacrificed his own life for others, humbly. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do because no one had taught them. The shepherds had not taught them. The preachers, rabbis had not taught them. And their fathers before them did not teach them. Because the words have been closed since Daniel, in Daniel 12.4. So they hadn't had it till then. They were sent into the world, and the Lord told them he would bring the words because, hey, they got what they wanted. They wanted the, the, the words in law, and they, he says, you've taken the law, and you've twisted it and made it to no avail. But I've come in to clean the law and to show you how to overcome the world. He spoke to the young tree, tree and it withered. He's going to speak to us at this time and our bodies are going to wither because we would not hear the word. That's the plague that's coming upon us at this time if we do not pay attention. Now let me go in and let's talk about, you know, this, the, the Lord, what we want to do at this time. Let me put it that way. Remember the law of God 
In Deuteronomy 14, 1 and 2, you are sons of Jehovah your God. Do not cut yourselves or shave your heads, foreheads bald for a dead person, for you are holy people to Jehovah your God. Jehovah has chosen you to become his people, his special property out of all peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord will establish you a holy people to himself, just as he swore to you before you continued to keep the commandments, to keep the commandments of Jehovah your God and walk in his ways. We haven't done any of those things. But like the Holy One who called you, 1 Peter 1.15 says, become holy yourselves in all your conduct. I would just read uh, Deuteronomy 28.9 before that, where the Lord will establish us as a holy people. He will establish us as a holy people if we will set ourselves apart from the world. Because it's the words of God that when it enters us, John 3.34, his words only come with the full measure of the Spirit of God. And God's Spirit is holy. So we will become holy. We are not holy when we walk in the way of the world and do the things of the way of the world. Put tattoos on our flesh. Now let's talk about the most important teaching of God about the flesh. In John 6, 25-71, we hear it this way. And when they found him on the other side of the seas, this is after he fed the 5,000. He says, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered him and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not, bec not because you saw the signs, the miracle of the bread and that being multiplied, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. In other words, he's trying to give them the understanding that the bread has the supernatural power when it's used in the way of the words of God to give forth the instruction of the Lord, which is to have the desire to separate yourself from the world by his words, by seeking the knowledge of truth, which is the word of God, which enables the words of God, enable the promises of the good works of God that were prepared from the foundations of the world and are set apart for his saints so that they can glorify him. Because it shows that he has words that are above all those other people and promises that are above all those that come forth when we speak his words. That is the righteous acts of the saints, which puts a fine linen garment on us, which means that it cleanses our flesh, removes the tattoos and everything else, removes disease, removes speckles, removes all these things that are not of God. He purifies us. He said at this time that in this day of the Lord, when the words are open, Daniel 12, 9 and 10, that many will be purified, made white. That's cleansed. Removed your sins from your body, not just your garment. It's going to have a white garment. But the difference between our garment is he's going to put plagues on the people of the world that he sets apart for punishment. And one of those plagues is the eating away of all their flesh. They're going to look like a, a child that's still in the womb and he hasn't involved and got the flesh on his body yet because it's going to be eaten away with boils just like it was with Job, and they're going to want to die. And when the Lord said that in Matthew 24, 21 to 22, when he's saying there that these, pe these people, all flesh would die, it also means this. All flesh would do this if God didn't intervene and cause a revival to come so that the people would turn away from this because it means that if all the flesh is dead, it also means that their spirit is dead and they have no truth in them. And what happened to Job when he was on that pile is even his wife, his last one, who any love for him, come to him. And what did she do? She says, curse God and die. 
because he was struck with this plague of the flesh, which is symbolic of what the people are going to have at this time. The boils all over the body from the head down, to, and his bones were withering. He said that the aching of his bones and destruction of his bones. That is what's going to happen to the people of this day. That's the plague of Tsaret, the worst plague we can get. Job went through it, and he was healed afterwards when he endured it and learned the way of God in a better way than he had before. Even though he was great and perfect before that, he became even more perfect through the testing. But he did that for our sake. All the generations have heard the knowledge. He says, Jesus answered them and said, Most surely I say to you, seek me because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes. Do not labor for the food of the world. The things that we see as bread, the things we see as fish, the things we see as lamb, steak, desserts. But for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because the God the Father has set his seal on him. Which means that if he gives his life for us on that cross and pays the price of the blood as the sacrifice, then the the words will be opened to us. A temple veil will be torn. We can go in and receive the words of God directly from him. No longer do we have to pay the price because the people of Israel rejected to receive the word from God directly, but they wanted to receive it through papers to engraven word. But you see, when it's written down, it's an engraving. But God is wanting to circumcise our hearts. In other words, write it, engrave it upon our hearts. So every man will have the law in him. That's the food of the kingdom that's going to come upon us. We'll know it. And that food which endures forever. And if you are likened to a son of God, do you not think that you can speak and the food will appear before you? If it's necessary. You don't need the food. This food endures forever. Because the words of God never end. And if your heart is circumcised and written and engraved with the words of God, it cannot die. We will be raptured up. You won't die in the way of this world when you do this, the words of God in these times. It's a very interesting thing. You're going to have everlasting life. He tells you in John 5, 24, if you will believe, on the voice of the Lord that's calling out at this time, as he said, when I come, the people will hear my voice and they will come out. He says in John 5, 24, if you hear the voice of the Lord and believe in the promises of God, then you'll have everlasting life and you'll pass through these judgments. Paul said it this way, your body will change the twinkling of an eye in the time. I don't know if that's immediate. When he when I mean in other words when you go up in a rapture I don't know if that's immediate at that time I'm not sure what it does with that whether we have an appointed time but the thing about it is whenever it occurs it'll be a twinkling of an eye you won't even feel it but before that time you have the promise of eternal life and you, because you have the words sealed within you see in Ephesians 1 13 to 14 those of Paul's time in that, they had the hope of eternal life. They had the guarantee of eternal life to them. It's been given for every time for man wants to die. There will be 
example of a death, even if in the twinkling of an eye, whenever that occurs. And I'm not quite sure on that yet. But we do know this, that when we receive the words, we have the promise of eternal life, we have the promise of eternal life, you will not fail until you've completed the work of God that was given for you to do. That part is sure, if we walk in the way of the words. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Remember that he told us, don't love your life to death. Death is that plague of Tessarit that's going to come upon the people. It's going to be those plagues. Yes, death can be that you die and go into the pit. Yes. But also, it's this plague of God that's coming, as he examples in Zechariah 14.12 and these other things, where he says this boils of all over the body is going to come up. And it's called the plague of death. Because it's like you're not living. It's like a stillborn. You're in the womb. Haven't been born, and you may not even be born. That's symbolic of that. It's that kind of it's a plague of death that's also coming at this time. It says, Because God the Father set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is what you want to know, because works of God is given to those that are sons of God. The righteous acts of the saints. You have to be set apart and made holy, which is, means you have the spirit of truth in you then. He gives you the spirit of truth, John 14, 15, 17. Cannot receive by the people of the world. The people are in the, the day, the prophets, the people are claiming they got the Holy Spirit to the full and all these things are not true. It hasn't come upon them yet because they are not sealed by the words of truth yet. When that comes, you'll be filled, sealed with the spirit of truth in you, which is what he's saying. He's going to change our hearts. We don't understand. Our hearts are still idolatrous in nature. There's still things we're failing. We don't see it. We don't see the marvelousness of the works of God or the words of God. And the fact that we block his words proves that we don't have the spirit of truth in us. We reject the words. Just rejecting the words shows us we ignore John 8, 47 and Deuteronomy 18, 18, 18 to 19. Therefore, are we of God the way we think we are? No. He said we're caught in a snare. Isaiah 28, 9 to 13 says the knowledge of truth, the knowledge of his words, his works, is what is the snare to us. We're ignoring the way of them. He spoke words and all things are created. Don't we want to know those words? This is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. John 18, 37 says that he came into the world to bear witness to the truth. And all those who are of the, of, of the truth hear his voice. In other words, they discern the words of his voice. In John 8, 43 to 47, he's told all those re religious people there that you don't understand my speech because you can't discern my words. If you don't hear my words, you're not of God. Whoa. Listen to that. Okay. He says, what sign will you then that we may see it and believe you? Remember what they said to him? They said, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. He sent him with the words of God. Believe him. Hear him, he told them. Hear him. Believe him. They will not hear him, even today. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread, the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. In other words, the Lord himself, he gave them that bread. Jesus gave them that bread back then. Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, which is him, Jesus. He gave them the manna back then, but now he's given them the Lord. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. His words are spirit and they are life. But the people won't receive the words. They, oh, that's an abomination because they have hearts of stone. He's going to give you a heart of flesh so that your heart is symbolic of him. In other words, a heart of flesh, he's telling you, I want you to eat my flesh. In other words, that your body will do the works that I do. And the way that I do, walk in the way of the words and abide in the words of God. And linger, hunger for the kingdom of God to come and all his works to be fulfilled. But their hearts are stone. They want to hear a prophetic word. They want to have their ministry. They want, to, they want to do this. They want to have a church that does this. We want to build a youth center, bring in more people, get more money. I want to be a millionaire. I want to ride, drive in a Rolls Royce, fly jets, go to Washington, get an appointment of a position, go to Israel, meet with the leaders of the world, despite the fact that all of that is against the instruction of God in Revelation 18, 1 and 4, when his words are open, when the light has come into the world. It's shining on their world. The light is not in the people of the world yet, but it's shining on them because the words have been opened and given to them. You know, it's open to everybody if they'll receive it. The entrance of his words gives light and gives understanding to the simple. They can't understand the scriptures because they haven't done this. And they want to twist many. When, when they even get anything, they want to get something that they can use it for their own little work over here. So even the words, people have done that to me. They want to do it, use it for their own work. Not what God is doing, not with bringing the kingdom forth, not with the harvest and the rest of it. They want to do it for others. I know a guy that took a thing and I sent him a message on this. And next thing I know, he's got a book out there on it, trying to sell it. He has no clue what the words mean or how it works. And others told him, look, this is an abomination from the straight pits of hell. Well, yes, doing it that way it is. But I am, he's, let me go on with this and read it. And I'm breaking up too much, and I need to bring it a better, more closer to you. It says that Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives light to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Remember, the, the uh, Great Supper is about bread, Luke 14, 15 to 24. And he warns the shepherds there that if they rejected the message, they're not going to have any part. They're going to go out into the punishment. Luke 15, 24, or 14, 24. And that was because they wanted to seek the bread. God has got this supper ready, but they will not come in. The bread gets them the desire to come in. And when that guy said, you know, eat the bread of the kingdom of heaven, and what, he, what the Lord is saying is beyond the bread, the Father's prepared the whole meal. The instruction is just to get you interested to come in. But when the people heard of the words, they said, no, I got my own message over here I'm going to sell. I got five more I want to try. Because they're looking to make a profit and a, and a big name for themselves, and they're going to be ashamed. I, I, there's many people who have told me visions of certain pastors, evangelists, major TV evangelists, that are going to be struck dead. Because the fact that they have rejected this message and they've ridiculed this message and called it a message straight from the pits of hell. One of them was killed in a, 
in a head-on collision several years ago. Terrible. But he was offered the words many times. And I know because I was there in front of him one time, I knew the Lord was speaking to him. But he would not hear it when the message came to him. And that was the result. Shame. Terrible shame. But I pray that the Lord measured the works he had done that were good and had mercy upon him. And maybe that's why he took him before this time of the compelling must happen. Okay, it says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And he says, when they answered, that said, Give us this bread always, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. Remember, he says in Proverbs 1.23, If you come to me, I will pour out my spirit upon you and cause you to know my words, which are spirit and life. That was Proverbs 1.23, and then John 6.63 tells you that. And he who believes in me shall never thirst, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will no means cast out. He will cause them to learn. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. In other words, all those, God is calling people to him and they will not receive the words. God has sent people to me with his words and they didn't receive the words. They're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the Lord's message. They want to do their own translation of it instead of listening to the translations that's from the scripture. They put their own twist to only partial messages, not continuing to seek it out. It goes on, he says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And remember John 5, 24, the promise there, that if you'll hear the voice of the Lord and remember the promises of God, you'll have everlasting life. And pass through these judgments. That's why he's saying, I'll raise him up at the last day. When he raises us up at this last day, it means it's rapture. It means he's going to do the finishing work in us. Because we cannot go up in a rapture event until we're spotless. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. It's the mystery of the church. Ephesians 5, 32. And we have to care about others. We don't. Everything that we do should be for others and not ourselves. But people boast and brag and do things for themselves and not for the kingdom of God. They're not interested in souls out there that don't know. Jesus, even when he's on the cross and these guys persecuted, spit on him, did all that killing of him and so on and He's still praying like that. And they said, is this not Jesus? The, the Jews didn't complain about him because he says, I am the bread which come down from heaven. And they said, is, this not, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? I can imagine what they say about me bringing the words of people because of my past and, and, and you know my sins and so on. But you don't know what God does in somebody and what his purpose in them. And you don't know the actual facts of all the situations in the life or how God has taken you and put you, allowed you to be in certain situations. So you know the facts of the world and be able to understand the scriptures. They don't look at that part. Only mistakes and they don't know what the truth of those are. And yes, there's plenty of mistakes, plenty of sin. But that's, you know, it's like, we have to look at the plank in our own eye. And I'm trying to correct my things and do all I can 
to restore people with something greater than anything I could possibly give them, the truth. Because if they can get it from the Lord because of something made known, then it's good for them. I have come down from heaven, Jesus said, for answer and said, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him, who sent me, draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. In other words, the spirit of truth is the only one that can cause you to turn to the Lord. I may do something, but only by enabling the spirit of truth through doing the way of the word, which the words of God have the full measure of the spirit of God in them. That work, that spirit of God that's in those works is what causes you to turn to the Lord, not me. You're not seeing my work. You're seeing God in the words of God. If the words of God stick out to you and you see them in the scriptures, it's him causing you, his spirit, causing you to turn to the Lord to get authority to approach the Father for the words of God. He will cause you to know it because the Lord is symbolic and is in the standing position of God. He has all the authority of God to judge, which means to teach. A judge is a teacher of the words. He speaks the words, and if you reject the words of God, then you come to the punishment of God, which is Deuteronomy 18.19, which says you will be held into account. And that means the plagues will come upon you. But a teacher of the words is one who teaches the words, and if they reject it that way, then they're judged. Because we all must be judged in righteousness. Most assuredly, I say, there, well, let me back up there. It says, uh, send him, draws him, and raise him up to the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all be taught by God. By God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. See, the Spirit of God is in his words, and the words are what causes you to turn to the Lord to get more knowledge of the words and understanding, and also the counsel of when to do them and when to use them and how to overcome the world all comes from the Lord. He opens the scriptures to your eyes and allows you to understand, as he did the disciples in Luke 24, 44 to 45. Here are the words I spoke to you while I was with you, and then he was able to cause them to understand the scriptures. He will cause you to understand his words, Proverbs 1, 23. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes out from heaven that one may eat of it and die. He's talking about the instructions of the words of God that they eat and they will not die. I am the living bread. It gives eternal life, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread, the instruction, the word that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. His flesh is the symbolic thing of what is in his mind and in his heart. It's from his heart that his mind comes up with all of his works and desires. The heart is the desire. The flesh is symbolic of that. The skin of the flesh, the bones, everything that we do is for the works of God, and it symbolizes what's in our heart. Our flesh symbolizes what's in our heart. It is our heart for the kingdom of God. Is it for the words and fulfilling the words? Remember that in even the book of Revelation, the word will be fulfilled. We need to understand what are the words so we can fulfill them. Daniel 9.24 tells us the process of what we must overcome, the iniquity, which also includes our flesh. We have to overcome this. 
and turn it so it shines and becomes like a light. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Drink his blood. The blood was sacrificed so that the temple of the Lord will be open. You're not drinking his blood if you're not caring about the life and soul of others. Because what he did was to cause with his flesh, pouring out his blood as an authority, as a sacrifice, so others might open, I mean, the temple veil might be open to others. He did the works with his flesh, but he gave of his blood. That blood is his whole life. In other words, you're, you're wanting your whole life to be dedicated to the work of the kingdom of bringing forth others in the harvest time at this time. So you can understand this. The flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Remember John 15, 7? He who abides in me and abides in the words will have whatever they desire be done for them. Abides in me and I in him. In other words, I in him means that, yes, he's going to cause you to know the work that for the kingdom of God, it's going to give the most glory to the Father. He's going to help you understand how to give glory to the Father, which includes your body. He will heal you. He will do all these things. If we do this and set ourselves apart, healing will come. You will shine. You will be made a new garment. You will be made a new temple. Your heart of stone will be gone. Your heart of flesh will be wise, filled with the knowledge of the kingdom of God and how to speak forth like a son of God the words of God. So that all the works of the kingdom for the glory of God are done. He said that you're going to be able to do marvelous things because he's going to cover the whole earth with the glory of God. At this time. Isaiah 11.9, Habakkuk 2.14. And I live as a living father sent me, and I live with the father. He who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. This is the one that the people will be raptured. This is the time that God has appointed that he's finally going to cause the people to be changed. This is the time that Daniel prayed for in Daniel uh, chapter 9. It's the marvelous time. Overcome the flood, which is the words of the dragon, with the words of God that are higher than his, and he has no authority over in Revelation 12, 16, it says he has to leave these with the wisdom inside of them. That's why he says in Joel 2, 20, they will flee from him when we turn to him and plead with the Lord. And notice what they're pleading. Don't allow your people to be destroyed, Father. These people are praying for others. His congregation, his people, the ones he once set apart. And he will sprinkle his water upon them and cause them to go forward with his word. As he says in Ezekiel 36. It's a marvelous thing they will do. You know, at that time when this message was given, many people left them. Over the time when the words, when I started speaking the words, many people, I mean, not one church would open their doors. They're like these disciples that left the Lord when they had the real meat of the kingdom of God, the gloriousness of the kingdom of God. They left. They didn't want to be fishers of men. They want to be people of the world. They want to have a religion that's compatible with the world, and it's not. 
God's message is to be set apart from the world in John 17, 17. And we must do this or we will not be of the kingdom. Because in Psalms 51 and 6, he says he's going to send his angels to gather those who made a sacrifice by covenant. The covenant is the new covenant which fulfills the words he gave his blood on the cross and his flesh to open the temple veil that we can go in and receive the words. That's the new covenant. And to walk in faith and truth without fear of the world. Not caring about our lives, but living a life that's glorious to him and abiding in him to glorify him and walk holy before him so that we can be representative of him so that he will pour out to us the things that make the holiness to come on the earth and overcome the beast at this time. Well, let's wrap it up at this point. I just wanted to point this out to you that the flesh is. Remember that he said that the spirit eagerly await for the hope of righteousness by faith. That's a Galatians 5, 5. For we, through the spirit, eagerly await for the hope of righteousness by faith. It's like the earth is waiting for the rising of the sons of God. They're going to rise when they understand the words are the, put on the heart and their stone heart that we have now. The Lord says we're all caught in a snare. A snare is a stone. It's another word. It's, it's another thing that's blocking us from having a true heart that's circumcised with the words of God that are the law. He says in Psalms 119, 142, your truth is law. And he says in Psalms 119, 160, your truth, I mean your words, the entirety of your words are truth. That's, in other words, it's law. God's words are law. Deuteronomy 18, 19, if we reject these words that he sends Messiah into the world to bear witness to, we will be held into account. It's judgment day. We're going to be judged by his words, John 12, 48. It's time we understand this. And the flesh is symbolic of that judgment. In the end, those to be raptured will shine like the firmament forever and many like the stars. Those are the ones that have really got the message. And they've changed their heart and changed their ways so that their flesh begins doing that. Remember that your lips are part of your flesh. When God says greet another with a holy kiss, he's not doing just a kiss on the cheek or anything like that. A holy kiss is a word of God spoken with your lips. Because when that word goes forth, it lasts forever. It's better than doing a thing on their, on their face. They're acknowledging them by speaking peace to this house as Jesus did when he came to disciples. That's a holy kiss. Peace, the eternal peace, the way of rest, the way of the kingdom of God, the fullness of all this is that. That's a holy kiss. That is with your lips. Not a lips cursing, not a cursing vulgarity and so forth. We must remember this. Greet each other. Greet the brethren with a holy kiss. And greet your enemies with a good thing. Jesus says, love your enemies. Love is doing the way of the words and good works. You can speak to them saying, may you be blessed in light in this day. That is a holy kiss. That is doing good for your neighbor. Lord, we pray that you'll, that you'll enable the people to understand your will at this time, understand your law. Father, we thank you for this appointed time you brought us to. Let us walk forth in truth and in way of righteousness. We ask all this in thy name, in thy precious name. In Jesus' name, amen.